Right, you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. And y'all give the worshipers another hand of applause. Isn't, wasn't that amazing? Thank you guys so much. And, you know, I just feel the need to say this as I'm preaching. Uh, if the Lord should prompt you and you have not received communion, by all means, please uh, do so. We are starting a new series today entitled Back to Basics. How many of you know that we need to get back to the basics? We need to get back where we started. I tell you what, I remember uh, as a young person uh, thinking about when somebody, how many of you remember when you were young and somebody came in and rung the doorbell and everybody in the house freaked out? We got company, man. The kids meet them at the door and it's on a Thursday night and you're watching, uh, what was it, All in the Family? Or how many of y'all remember that one? Or Good Times? Y'all remember Good Times? Come on now, get your hands up. Y'all know y'all remember J.J. Dynamite! How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all have no clue what that, what that means? All right, you need to Google it. It's really awesome. But uh, I remember, how about Three's Company? How many of y'all are th- Okay, good. I, I just remember a better time. I remember a time 20 years ago, in fact, before even computers and all the things that we have that just take so much of our time. And I also remember the times as a young person in church where we got those little Bible stories. Y'all remember the little Bible stories? You know, Daniel in the lion's den, Noah in the arch. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember all this stuff about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And, and so what happens is we take those stories and we just kind of catalog those over here as childhood stories. But I submit to you that the theological truths found within those stories, because they're biblical truths, Amen. Amen, church? Y'all know that, right? That these are not just some fly-by-the-night childhood stories that we're to just discount as that, but folded within them are incredible truths found in the Word of God. And here's the, here's the premise for this series, Back to Basics, is if we can't get our head around something as simple yet incredibly profound in its theological stance, as, for example, what I'm going to talk about today is, is Noah and his ark and all of the animals and all the surroundings that went through that. If we can't get our head around that... And believe that fully, that there truly was a man that was 600 years of age, that had three sons, they had wives, and of course Noah had a wife, and that he was called by God to do the unthinkable. And that in the unthinkable, some 120 years as he went forward to do the unthinkable, doing all that God had called him to do, that he did something that was absolutely a monstrosity of a building in the form of an ark, a boat, yet he was 100 miles away from the nearest ocean, and it had never rained before, and so God was calling him to a new thing to do something that would profoundly change the entire world. Now, if I can't put my head around that, and, and I just kind of discount that as, oh, that's just a, a metaphor, or that's just some symbolic teaching so that it would grab the heart and the mind of a young person. If I fail to grab onto the truth of that teaching found in Genesis 6 and following, then what happens is the enemy, divisive, decisive, the liar, accuser of the brethren, he will infiltrate my mind and my thought processes as it pertains to the Word of God, and he will begin to make me question other things, like Lazarus being truly dead and in the grave for four days resurrected out of the grave by a simple word by our savior Lazarus come forth he'll make us question that he'll make us question the raising of of, of Jairus's daughter or the healing of the lepers and all of these other teachings and guess what else is coming behind that he will really make us question the true life death burial and physical bodily historical resurrection of Jesus seated now at the right hand of the father if we begin to question the simple truths of Noah and the art, guess what? Everything else is also compromised. 
So the reality today is we unfold a new teaching of a timeless truth to help us to truly understand the theological applications of what's going on in the book of Genesis. I know David is probably one of the biggest fan of creationism and teachings within the book of Genesis as anyone probably in our church and has a lot more uh, knowledge of that probably than I do because he spent a lot, a lot of time teaching it. So but if I get off base or anything, just wave your hand at me and pull me back in. You got me? All right. Thank you, brother. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to two passages today. First in Hebrews chapter 11, and then hold your spot there and turn into the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to kind of marry the two together and understand why within the New Testament, this is one of the most single profound teachings in the entire Word of God because of a term within theological discussions called law of first mention. What we know today to be true is that God is, is, has the character of immutability. He is a changeless God. How many of you know that God cannot change? He cannot lie. He's the same yesterday, today, and what else? Forever. So what happens is when we see something mentioned in Scripture for the very first time, then what happens is, is it follows that same pattern all throughout history. So I want you going into this to go ahead and realize that the times of Noah are not at all much different than the times in which we live today. So if that's true, and it is, and I think we all can see that, and you're going to see that here in just a moment, we realize that there's something for us to really open our spiritual eyes and begin to see the teachings as it was then and what's going on today. It's, there should be a light going off about right now. But here's the problem. The enemy has done very, very discreetly a huge injustice to us using this term that I'm about to say. We are living in the, say it with me, in the last days. How many of y'all heard that since you've been in church your whole life? You've heard. Well, guess what? If you're in this room today and you're one under, under 100 years of age, then guess what? In the context of all time and all of eternity, even 100 years could be considered a day. In fact, the Bible says this way, a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years in the economy of God. So when I tell you that we're living in the last day, anybody that's been born after 1900 to this point in time, literally, we are true to say that. But what's happened is, is we have taken that teaching and that truth, and we think it's just a scare tactic by the fire, st- fire and brimstone preacher. That we're living in the last day. You better get your house in order. We've been hearing that our whole life. I remember movies like, uh, books like 1984 that came out that talked about the apocalyptic time and the nuclear holocaust. Maybe y'all remember that book. I was in high school and I remember when that book came out and I remember the George Orwell stuff and all of the different writings and teachings and we had become so callous and so numb to the teaching of the last days. But I submit to you that as we begin to marry scripture together in Genesis 6 and what we're seeing today, they're not too far apart. So I want us to dig right into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11 is the, the chapter known as the chapter of faith. It starts with Hebrews 11, 1, where it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That We're believing God for something that is tangible, that you can touch, feel, smell, taste, or, or embrace, yet the evidence is that it does not exist. Faith is driven out of a heartbeat of trust. Faith is not driven out of a heartbeat of I can see it, I can grab it, I can hold on to it. That is not faith. In fact, because we believe in something that we have not seen, the Bible says we're, we're somewhat greater than even the disciples in the context of they walked with Jesus and they saw it. We didn't walk with him, yet we still believe. And in Hebrews 11, he begins to unfold. The Hebrews writer begins to unfold. And we've coined it as the, the hall of faith. Men and women who have stood out head and shoulders above many of the other 
characters, people, historical figures in history that literally have walked by faith and done incredible things under excruciating conditions, chaos all the way around. And these are not people that, quite frankly, you would pick out of a crowd and go, they're, they're set to succeed. These are people that are very common and in some cases, quite frankly, an absolute total mess. We see the life of this Noah. And I want to read verse 7 of chapter 11, if I may. It says, by faith, everybody say by faith. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Underscore that in your Bible. <clears throat> he was moved with godly fear or reverence. The Bible says we've not been given the spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. So what kind of fear is he talking about? The fear of God is the beginning of what? Knowledge and wisdom. The reality is, is there should be some reverential fear from a holy God. How many of you know that? How many of you remember the day when a police officer would walk past you and you would like, you know, how many of you still do it? You're riding down the road and a trooper comes behind you and you just start hitting the brake and you're like going 15 and a 50. You know you do. You know you do that because there's a, in our generation, there's a reverence. Well, there should be a reverence for a holy God when we hear the very name of Jesus. There should be a, oh, because let me tell you something. All of heaven moves and all of hell trembles just at the very mention of Jesus. Yet we flippantly throw that name out there as if it's another name for some other common man. It's not. It is the name above all names, the name by which every man must be saved. It is the name that, watch this, that is placed higher than the heavens and the earth. And the reality is, he says, that he's believing, having been divinely warned of things not yet seen, move with godly fear to prepare an ark for the saving of his household. Watch this, comma. So he was divinely warned to prepare him, Kyle. But then he's also a preacher proclaiming the message of hope. He's also declaring the divine warning that's been given him. And he's taking it out to a lost and dying and evil people among them. He's, he is literally a sheep going out in a, in a den of wolves. And he's proclaiming the message of preparation divinely warned in his heart. But watch this. Watch what it says. This word is profound. Which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness which is according to faith. So what was setting him free through the preparation of divine warning was the very same message that was condemning the world because they would not hear. The Bible says if a man has ears let him hear. It's a, it's a warning of divine listening to a holy God. And then listen to this in the last part. We see that, that he became an heir of the righteousness which is according unto faith. If I could give this message a title. We see Noah as an illustration of faith at work. Noah is the illustration of faith at work. We see this for the first instance in the Word of God. So to truly understand the Old Testament Scripture, now turn over, if you will, to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. To really know who this man was who walked in obedience of faith, to put feet to his faith in, in a very perilous time. And Genesis 6, 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Everybody say righteous. Noah was a righteous man and the only blameless, everybody say blameless, person living on the earth at the time. And watch this, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Let us pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word that you hold above your name. Let us apply it. Let us walk in truth that we may leave out of here more equipped, more excited about living in obedience in our faith to you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. He was righteous, and he was blameless. 
To understand Noah, we realize that he was righteous, which simply meant this. Not that he was always right, not that he was holier than thou, not that he was some spiritual monarch that everyone would see, but watch this, but that he was a man who lived to please God. You've got to understand something, guys. This is profound, what I'm about to tell you. He was living a life right set apart unto God before the law was ever given. See, there was no law and the thou shall and the thou shall not. There were 613 laws written, Levitical, Mosaic laws that people had to follow to a T if they wanted to be right with the Holy God. The law actually proved that we needed a what? A Savior. Jesus came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it so that we may live according to grace, His merit. But watch what happens. When we see this, we wonder, how is it then if we're pre-law, how is it then that he knew how to live right according to God? You know, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament speak of his handiwork. Do you know that even in the Amazon forest, in a place where they've never heard the person of Jesus, the person of Yahweh, the person of Elohim, they know there's something bigger. You know what they do? They'll worship a tree God. They'll worship a lightning God. They'll worship a water God. Because even they are hardwired to know that there's something bigger than just them walking around the forest of the Amazon rainforest. Why? Because there's something innately placed in us that has hardwired us to place worth or worship in something bigger than us. And Noah knew that. So Noah, watch this. When you realize that he was not only righteous, but he was blameless. This doesn't mean that he was sinless. It just simply meant that if you were to ask others about Noah in the context of that conversation, he would be above reproach. He would not be blameless in the sense of being perfect, but he had integrity with others. What does that mean? He not only did the right thing when other people were was watching, but he did the right thing when no one was watching because he realized that he had an audience who was watching everything he did, every thought that entered into his mind, and even the words before they proceeded out of his tongue. You see, he was righteous and he was blameless, but here's the big caveat. Here's the, if you want to give the big take home today, watch this. Here's the big take home. If you hear nothing else I say today, although I don't want you to turn me off after this, say amen. It's the reason he was righteous and the reason he was blameless is because he walked with God. What set him apart from the entire, listen to what it said, the entire world was evil and thinking upon evil thoughts continually. The reason is because, watch this, Noah is walking in step with God, yet he's walking completely out of step with the cultural expectation of the day. You know, it, it reminds me of a passage of Scripture that says, Enter the straight gate, for broad is the way that leads into destruction. Let me tell you something. You want to walk in step with the world and the world's agendas? Jump right in. There's a whole plethora of people that'll walk right there with you. If you think of this as a, how many of you guys have been in the military? All right. You remember that time where that one, that one kid, that one kid that just couldn't get the walking in step, you know, left, left, and that guy's walking up there, he's going, he's going, left. Left, and he's on his right foot, everybody's on their left. And you can pick that guy out of everything that's going on because he's going down and everybody's going up, and it's just awkward, it's real. That's the way Noah, I'm going to say Moses, Noah would have looked in that day. He was walking out of complete step with the rest of the world, but he was walking in complete step with God. See, he's a weirdo. Some of y'all are weirdos, you know you are. How many of y'all are spiritual weirdos? I like the way Toby Matt called it. It sounds a little cooler. How many of y'all are Jesus freaks? Okay. 
But the reality is, it's okay to be peculiar, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy. Why? Because I am not listening. Hear me. I am not motivated. I am not driven. I am not mandated. I am not walking with. I am not listening to the affairs and the agendas of this world. I am listening to, motivated by, driven by, in step with a holy God. There's a divine warning coming through, and I want you to know, it can condemn you or it can set you free. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And on one side, it can cuts you to the quick it can condemn you it can pour out a wrath upon you but on the other side it can redeem you it can set you free it can make you holy for he is holy and the reality is is we got to have ears to hear and realize that we can get in step not with the culture but with a holy god walk with god that changed noah he walked with god isaiah 55 and 8 says my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways it's interesting how in isaiah 55 he said nor are your ways my ways he could have said it the other way, but I really I think that Isaiah was saying this. The prince of the prophets was saying this. God is not interested in marrying up with your ways. You better get interested in marrying up with his. See, when we realize the truths taught here, if you have your Bibles, turn back just a few verses. I want to just read this for you. I wasn't going to do this, but I want you to, I want you to hear this. Genesis 6, 1 through 8. It says, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God and that saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now this is a big teaching that I'll teach on another time, maybe on a Wednesday night. I know Kyle and David of others have studied this as to who these men were. Were they demonic forces? Were they fallen angels? Were they sons of Seth? We'll get into that another time. It's a great study. But just hear where I'm going. He says, and the Lord said, listen to what the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years they were giants on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of god came into the daughters of men and they bore children unto them they were mighty men who were of old men of renown now watch this in verse five five is the number for grace but watch what he sees then the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually and the lord was sorry that he had made man now understand this is a an anthropomorphism. What that means is this. Be very careful that you understand theologically what just happened in Scripture. God is not ashamed that he created man. God is not sorry in the sense of, man, I really want to apologize. I created man. He's using man words just like this. God is a spirit, but yet we say the eyes of God see all things. God is spirit, yet we say it's the hand of God that's reaching out to man to pull him up. The reality is is God doesn't have eyes because he doesn't need them. He doesn't hands because he's everywhere. But we give him those anthropomorphic attributes of a man to help us to relate to him as a man. Otherwise, he can't be reached he can't be connected with so when the scripture says that he was sorry that he created man here's what he really means he was sorrowful because man's thoughts were on evil continually yet there was one man that stepped back and saw the holiness of God and watch what he says said it grieved him in his heart so the Lord said watch what he said quote I will destroy man whom I've created in the face of the earth both man and beast creeping thing and birds of the air for I'm sorry that I've made them but Noah found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord I want to give you a few things real quick man you can actually go ahead and make your way back up because I don't want any break in what we're about to do there are a few things that I want to unfold to you today real quickly. Things that we can really, really learn from this story. And that's that sometimes 
We realize in Scripture and in life that God truly, if you're taking notes, truly will not tolerate sin. I really think that we have placed this this mind on God in our own fabricating of who we want God to be and think that He really will just kind of overlook it if we continue to do this or that, that God really kind of, His grace is so, I mean, His grace is enough and we sing about that and we, we speak about all these things so we think, well, if I just do this, I mean, surely God understands because what we've done is we've taken right and wrong as it pertains to the Scriptures and as to a holy God and we have fashioned this own ideal which has become relative in saying this, if it's right to me, then it must be right and if the rest of the world is doing it surely it can't be that wrong but the bible reminds you says broad is the way that leads to destruction but narrow is the way that leads unto life and few there find it can i tell you something when it says many will find the broad way many's more than half many means that not everybody that calls lord lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven and they will debate this thing with god god did we not cast out demons did we not do sign wonders and miracles did we and he says no you know what you might have done all those things but i never knew you depart from me your work of iniquity he says many We'll find that broad way. You want to go the popular route? Jump on and just start walking with man. Live a life that is completely cavalier, that has no rules and regulations. Take Nike's little and just do it and go have your time. But the reality is every man, every woman, every boy and girl will stand before, I say, will kneel before a holy God and will account for everything that he did or did not do for the glory of God. And the hope is that God will not continue to tolerate sin. Guys, can I tell you something? Let's, let's just remove a little piety for just a moment. Look at Noah's day. Sexual promiscuity running rampant. Idolatrous worship was the cultural standard. Self-exaltation was the way of the day. Kings and rulers. Children being sacrificed daily because there was no value in a child guys that's where we live and if we look at what was going on here God says I will not continue to strive with man I'm going to give him 120 years and we know that that the reality was in scripture that God gave Noah 120 years to build the ark but he wasn't just building a boat that was watch this 450 feet long 75 feet wide and four stories high a lot higher than this building the width of more than a half of a football field and the length of a football field and a half that he built at best by himself and maybe his three sons and, and, and literally called him to a place that was beyond anything he could have done. But 120 years as he's building it, he's not just saying, hey guys, check out what I'm building. He's building it saying, hey, as you pass by, get on the ark. He didn't even tell him to pick up a hammer. Get on the ark. I'm making a way out. God told me to make a way out. I'm preparing a way out. Get on. Be warned. No one responded. It's kind of indicative of today. We throw out the word like rapture of the church, and we go, well, that, that, that word's not even in the Bible. We talk about the second coming of Christ. We talk about the tribulation. We talk about all this, and people say, ah, it's never happened before. I've been hearing about that since I was a kid. Do you know the people said... Can you imagine the dialogue that must have occurred with, with Noah? He's over there, and, and he's building, and he's pitching inside and out, and, he, and they're like going, no, no, what you doing, brother? I'm building a boat 100 miles from the nearest seashore. You're an idiot, dude. You are a total idiot. Hey, that's cool. I'm just 
I'm just moving out of divine warning because I've been walking with God. And I know I'm preparing something for my family to be saved. And guess what you can get on to? There's room for you in the end. And they said, well, well, no, why are you building the, so far away from the water? God told me to because it's going to rain. And they said, what's rain? See, it had never rained one drop on the earth before, before that moment. The water from the subterranean waters and the dew on the ground is how the, the earth was ordered, watered at that time. See, we're not so different, us and Noah. But I want you to hear today that the teaching of this story is that God will not, cannot tolerate sin. And the sin of the world today is crying out. The babies who, who according to some people in the political arena, say the babies who have no constitutional right, God says, from the moment that I created Jeremiah in his mother's womb, I had a plan for him to an expected end. I don't care if he has a constitutional right. He has a divine identity. The sin of those babies cry out to a holy God. 27 million sexually trafficked slaves around the world. They have a name and an identity and a purpose and a DNA spiritually set to do what God has called them to do. God is not going to allow that to continue. But not only will he not continue to allow sin, but watch what else. God sees our faithfulness when our faithful faithfulness matters not to the world. The Bible says... That everyone in the world was thinking on evil continually. Yet Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Aren't you glad? That the world may never recognize your faithfulness to God. But God sees every penny of it. God sees when you get in your your closet at home. And you pray for someone who's hurt you or wounded you. God sees when you cry out to him and say, God, let worship today change lives. Let it change hearts. God, let me sing today, not for this audience, but for you as an audience. God, let me stand out there, starting point, God. And let me just open the door over here on the side of the building. Maybe only 12 people walk through. But God says, I see your faithfulness. Though it matters not to the world, I see that you matter. And I see that your role is important. I see the value in you. And you, and you, and you, and you. See, God surveyed all of mankind. Millions. And he saw one. The law first mentioned suggests this to me. That even today, God is just looking for one faithful, one reason to not go and destroy the earth. I want to be that guy. I want to be faithful. How about you? How many of y'all want to be faithful? I want to be faithful to the call. Come on, hold your hands up. I want to be faithful to to the point of sharing the gospel. I want to be faithful in prayer. Not only will God not tolerate sin, but he sees your faithfulness. And thirdly, what says, God will call you the faithful to do the absolute impossible. Have you ever wondered why God calls me to do things that are just so outlandish, that are so far out there? I mean, why, God, can't you just tell me instead of passing out 5,000 bottled waters, why can't we just get a, a little place and set up a little tent let them come out and grab one? I mean, that's the way it should work. Why, why do we have to buy... 385 acres, Lord. Why don't we just buy the little 14? Why, why, God, do we... I mean, I could go on through the gamut. God, why do we got... We got to keep doing events and hope that somebody comes to know Jesus. Why, God, why do we have... To, why do I have to read your word? Well, I've already read it, God, from cover to cover. Why do... He's calling you, though, like he called Noah, to do the absolute impossible because that when we enter into the impossible, watch this, we say, God, I can't do this on my own. 
he says, I know. That's the beauty and the impossible for you because what's impossible for man is nothing is impossible with God. You see, the beauty in it is if God just called us to the possible, we would take the credit. If God calls you to do what you can already do, you're going to attaboy yourself. But when He calls you to do what is impossible to do, you will absolutely fall to your face and you will acknowledge that it is God working through you that did that task. But please hear me though. Please hear me. God doesn't want you to see what you've already seen. He wants you to walk into things that you can't even fathom. He wants you to do the great unknown. He wants you to, hey, I want to walk on water like Peter. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to do greater than that. He wants, watch this. The Bible says the enemy comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I've come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly, exceedingly above that which you could ask, think, or fathom. I got a lot of fathom going on. I can think of some cool stuff. And God says, that's the best you got. I want to do more than that. I want to blow your mind. I love this. Not only does he see our faithfulness and call us to the impossible, but he always, always, always. Look to your neighbor say, he always. Go ahead and tell him. Now look to the person you care so much about and say, oh, he'll always. He always makes a way of escape. Genesis 8, 1 said, then God remembered Noah. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the yard. Let me, let me give you this real quick. I love this. Law of first mention. God is going to condemn the world, going to destroy the world. And I submit to you that he's going to do it again. But this time in full finality, it's over. If you go from the creation account to the, to the, to the flood, 2,000 years. You go from there to the cross, 2,000 years. From cross to today, about 2,000 years. When we get through with that 7,000 year, that's perfection and completion. And then he says there's a new Jerusalem. Eight is a number for new beginnings. We're very closely, I believe with all of my heart, on the cusp of the finality and the fullness of God. But watch this. But when he makes a way out, watch what he did. He built an ark. He built a sanctuary. He built a way out. So as he built it, watch what he did. When the Bible says that when man got in the ark, not on the ark, very important, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? If any man get in the boat, and then he can be saved from the storm that's going to be happening all around. And the Bible says that God shut the door, implying that he is the door. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm the door. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. All of these typologies we see unfolding, watch this, in the ark. And when man got in the boat, then when the destruction and the wrath of God poured out from above in the form of rain and storm and subterranean waters bursting forth, the boat, watch this, became the salvation, became the out, became the provision of God. So watch what happens. As the waters are flooding all of the people and destroying all the people around the world, watch what the boat does. The boat begins to float on top of the very thing that is destroying everybody beneath it. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
that when the archangel and the sound of God, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which alive remain shall be caught up together to be with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and following says, We've not been appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. God has made a way out, and his name is Jesus. And you got to get in the boat. You can't just get on the boat and see all the stuff going on. You get in it, and you fully become encompassed in his protection, and his sovereignty, and his provision, and his grace, and his mercy, and his love. And when the storm rages, watch what happens. You're safe. You can't be touched by the enemy. You can't be possessed by a demon. You can't be taken out of the hand of God. You can't be taken out of the family of God. If I'm a child of the Most High God, I'm a child today, I'm a child tomorrow, I'm a child for eternity. The Bible says I've been sealed until the day of redemption. Watch this. I already have been seated in heavenly places. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a mansion for me. Now, if you want to read the NIV, it can be called a room. But I'm just believing it's a mansion, amen? Because I don't believe God halfway does anything. He's performing a mansion. And he says, and and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Why? Because he loves me. I'm his bride. I'm perfect in his eyes. Not because of me, but because of him. And if your destructive lifestyle today is not bothering you, and it's not moving you, then you need to pray today, God, forgive me for my sins. Set me free, Lord. Place me on a new road. Put a new song in my heart. Establish my goings, as the psalmist said. The reality is if you can just go through life and continue to sin and continue to do against your spouse, against your kids, against the world, if you're a cheater, if you're an adulterer, if you're a prostitute, if you're an addictor, addiction, if you're an addict, if you open the, 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 the Word of God and you see nothing but jargon, you need to come to God today and say, God, I need you to make a way out because I want more. I want all of you, God. If you just keep doing what you're doing, then guess what, my friend? Let me just say this boldly. You might as well just jump in step with the world. Because the reality is, to be in step with God puts enmity between you and man. I'm not interested in what the world thinks. I want to reach the world, but I'm here to please one. I'm here to please God. I want to get in step with Him. I want to change the world. Is there anybody? Anybody in the house that wants to change the world? Is there anybody that cares about the folks that are dying and going to hell? There was a lady that died just a moment ago. One of our folks had to leave. What are we doing, guys? It's appointed unto man wants to die. Are we telling him about Jesus? Are we walking with God? And here's the reality. Not only does he make a way out, but he expects total and absolute faithfulness. God will not grade you on a curve. Church, hear me. Don't you dare believe the lie from the enemy to think because you're in church today, you're right with God. Because there's so many others that aren't in church today. Don't believe the lie today that you're giving 12 and 13% that you've blown the socks off of the holy God. You're not. Because God says, I don't want you 10%. I don't want you 13%. I want you 100%. I want everything you got. And then I'll let you have a little bit and steward over it. Because I'm God and there is none other. I don't want a little bit of you. Don't look at yourself compared to the person sitting next to you and think that you're a pretty good old gal and a pretty good old guy. You're not. The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. The only Jesus is good. And I want to grab onto the heart of my Savior today, and I want to say this. I know that you're making all things new. Revelation 21 and 4 says that one day He will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There will be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. No more sorrow for the former things that passed away. There's a day coming. He's going to make all things new. But here's what I want you to do today. Every eye closed, every head bowed all over the room. 
What about today? What about right now? Do you want to grab onto the heart of God today and say, God, I want all of you. I want to hear your divine warnings. I want to hear your divine instruments. I want to hear the song that you put in David's heart. God, I want to sing a new song today. I want to be redeemed. I want my marriage to not just work. I don't want a restored marriage. I want a brand new one today. Husbands, if that's your cry today, don't you wait for your wife to move. You get up and be the man of God that God's called you to be. And you step out. Listen, the world can fall to the left and to the right. But if I please a holy God, that's all that matters to me. If you're in a place of decay and a place of comfort, if you're sitting there today and everything just feels like it's okay, but it's not great, I want you to know you need to repent. You need to stand up. You need to give your life back over to Jesus, not for a new salvation, but for a new beginning. God makes all things new. If you don't know Him today and the salvation of your soul, would you pray with me right here, right now to God? Say, God in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Set me free. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you pray that today in faith, I want you without any hesitation, with absolute boldness and no personal debate, lift your hand and say, Mark, I prayed, and I invited Jesus into my heart. God bless you, ma'am. I'm looking around. Anyone else? I'm looking around. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Here's what I want you to do with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I need one of our ladies to come down front. One of our ladies. Just somebody that's willing to pray. If you prayed and invited Jesus into your heart, every head's bowed and every eye closed, but if you prayed and invited Jesus into your heart, I want you to stare a hole through me right now. Look up here at me. Look up here at me. Come. Just pray with you. That's all. Just come. Anybody else? Just come. They're just going to pray with you. You're not joining anything. Anybody else? If you prayed and invited Jesus into your heart today, look up here at me. If you prayed that, come. Come right now and pray. We just want to pray with you. For the rest of you sitting there, how many of you can be honest, just honest with yourself and honest with God? I have a need. I have a need in my home. I have a need in my family, financially, relationally, some other situation. Nobody knows. Nobody needs to know. But I got a need in my home. Lift your hand up right now. Be bold. Be honest. Be honest. Hold your hand up. If your hand is up, look up here at me. Look at me. If your hand's up, get up. Get up and come and pour it out at the feet of Jesus. Come right now. Don't you wait for the person sitting next to you. Wife, if it's you and it's your husband and he won't get up, you come and you come to him, come to God for him. Proverbs 31 said you're the virtuous wife and you'll bring blessing and honor not only your children but to your marriage. Come now.